Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women, women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good to see you, Rajan. Our scripture today is from Isaiah uh, chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. The word of the Lord. I don't even think we mic checked before I got up here, so this will be fun. We'll do it on the fly. It'll be great. Good morning, everybody. Apologize for the feedback. We'll get that fixed. That's not a problem. It's good to see you all, good to be here with you all, it's good to be with the people on Zoom. Dave, would it help if I went to the handheld? Yeah, it helps to have it on, how about that? Yeah, right? That's, that's totally why I did that, Rajan. Sure, we'll go with that. Thank you very much. Um, I want to start today by asking you to uh, imagine yourself in a story. I want you to imagine that you wake up one day and you have to leave. You have to leave your home. And not just eventually, you have to leave right now. There's some sort of danger, there's some sort of chaos, there's something, some sort of urgency, you have to leave, you have to get away from where you live right now and you don't really know where you're gonna go, you just know you have to leave. Imagine the fear and imagine the anxiety. And you know as you gather your belongings and your family and you head out the door that that place that you're going to spend the next night isn't the place you're going to spend the following night because you have to keep going. You have to keep that leaving. Imagine the fear. Imagine the anxiety. And imagine that maybe you even have to leave your country, the only place you've ever lived, the only place you've ever known. And you end up somewhere else where they're trying to help but you don't know the culture and you don't know the language and... It's not your home. Imagine the fear and imagine the anxiety. And imagine when you're there, you know it's temporary, but you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know if you're going to be able to go home or if you are going to be able to go home, when you're going to go home. And if you do get to go home, you don't know what's going to be there when you get back. Imagine that fear. Imagine that anxiety. 
And now ask yourself, what story am I telling? Hmm? Ukraine. Yes, you're telling the story of Ukraine. 3.8 million people have had to leave the country of Ukraine because of the, the invasion. Another 6.5 million have had been displaced from their homes. They haven't left the country, but they're not in their homes. It's over 10 million people. The population of the state of Minnesota, last I checked, was about 5.7 million. Nearly twice the population of the state of Minnesota has been displaced because of this invasion. Yeah, that's the story of Ukraine. And there's another story. Look at the first two verses of this passage from Isaiah. And somebody go ahead and shout out, what story are we talking about? Parting the waters. Enemies being quenched. Does it jump out to anybody? The Exodus. Exactly. Isaiah is re referencing the Exodus here. The story I told is the story of Ukraine and is the story of Exodus. And the story comes from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. This is a little bit of a deeper cut, but does anybody know the period of time and the group of people Isaiah was preaching to? Babylonian exile. You're very, very close. He had the exile. Yes, it's Babylonian exile. It's the story of Ukraine. It's the story of the Exodus. It's the story of the exile. And it's our story. Maybe on a metaphorical level, but it's still our story each of us individually, and us as a community. This is one of those mythic stories, and it's not mythic in the sense that it's not true. It's mythic in the sense that it repeats itself over and over and over again through history. It's the story, it's the kind of story that repeats. It's the kind of story that's full of fear and anxiety, and it's the kind of story that's full of hope. It's a story we're called to remember as God's people, and it's a story that we are called not to remember as God's people. And if that's confusing, good. That's the point. We'll get to that here in just a minute. We do want to talk a little bit about the Exodus and the exile because the Exodus and the exile are the two most important events in Israel's common memory. We're all pretty familiar with the Exodus, right? We've all seen the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, you know, parting of the Red Sea, 40 years in the wilderness, going to the Promised Land. We're all kind of familiar with those details. We're not as familiar with the Babylonian exile, although it's just as important to Israel's memory. The Babylonian exile, <clears throat> I won't get too bogged down in the history, by the way, but it happened over a period of time. There were several leavings that happened, but the main one was in 587 BC. Babylonian Empire comes and conquers the southern king of Judah, kingdom of Judah, including the city of Jerusalem, and takes the people they find to be useful, as I do scare quotes, and sends them off back into the Babylonian Empire, where they remain for about 50 years before the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonian Empire and the Persian king sends the Israelites back home. That's the exile. And there's commonalities in those stories, right? They both have a fixed starting point. For the Exodus, it was in Egypt. For the exile, it was in the kingdom of Babylon. And they both have fixed ending points. For the Exodus, it was the promised land, the land of Canaan. For the exile, it was back home in the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem specifically. But in between, there's a whole lot of wilderness. And wilderness, remember, is a huge theme of Lent as we sit here in the fifth week of Lent. 
And remember how we talk about the wilderness here at Genesis, right? The wilderness is that place where something old that used to work for you either doesn't work for you anymore or isn't available to you anymore. But the new thing that you're looking to transition into isn't here yet, and so you're stuck in this weird, funky, awkward middle ground. That's the wilderness. It's very uncomfortable. It's no fun. We're not going to try and put lipstick on the pig here. It's, it's no good. But the wilderness is where God speaks to people most often in the Bible. Remember, God spoke to Hagar in the wilderness. God spoke to Moses in the wilderness, to Elijah in the wilderness, to John the Baptist in the wilderness, to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. That's the 40 days of Lent. God shows up and speaks to people in the wilderness. And what we're going to see in this passage from Isaiah is that he does it in new ways and brings about new things in that wilderness time. So let's get into the passage, shall we? The first two verses, this passage is sort of broken up into three pairs of verses, and we're going to concentrate on the first two pairs. So the first set of verses, verses 16 and 17, the imagery there clearly, clearly invoking the Exodus, right? Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, who parts the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Verse 17, who brings out chariot and horse and army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished quenched like a wick. That's clearly referencing the Egyptians. When that old thing tries to hang on to you as you're trying to get to the new thing, God comes along and says, no, we're going to do the new thing now. That old thing's going away. Very much an Exodus story. Very much an Exodus story. But here's the thing about the Exodus. That Charlton Heston version that I mentioned, the Ten Commandments, it's not really how it happened. It's not really how it went down. It's a great movie, though. It's not really how it happened. In fact, there are archaeologists and scientists and scholars that say that the Exodus never happened at all. That it's a completely made-up story by the folks during the time of the Babylonian exile to try and give them hope. And there are other scholars and academics and archaeologists that say, yeah, no, it actually did happen. It just didn't happen quite that way. It happened over a longer period of time and in smaller groups leaving Egypt and going up to the land of Canaan. Whatever it was, whether it happened in the big you know, the big way that it's described in the Bible and in the movie, whether it was smaller groups, whether it didn't happen at all. The foundation, the power of that story is not in its specific historicity. The power of the story is in what it means to God's people, right? Because it tells us that God hears the cries of God's people, that God reaches out to God's people in the wilderness, that God guides God's people through the wilderness, and that God is doing something new in the wilderness. That's a story that's foundational. That's a story that repeats itself throughout the cycle of our lives. Not just in the exodus and the exile, not just in Ukraine, but here with us as a community and with us as individuals. And we see that in the next pair of verses. So let's go to verse, verses 18 and 19. Because Isaiah does something kind of weird here. Verse 18, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. Now hold on. He just talked about one of the most formative stories in Israel's collective memory and then follows it up by saying, yeah, but don't remember that. What? What, what are you talking? Why would you? This is a big deal. This isn't a minor story. This is the exodus for crying out loud. Why are you telling us not to remember this? What is he doing? Of course they're going to remember the exodus. Of course they are. Patricia Tull 
is a professor at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary, and she wrote that nowhere else in Scripture are people called thus to forget. Nowhere else. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it portrays Moses as repeatedly calling the Israelites to remember this very event. And this is the kicker. Three chapters later in Isaiah, Isaiah 46, Isaiah writes this, Remember the former things of God, for I am God, there is no other. What's going on? Don't remember or remember. Make up your mind. What are we doing here? Why are we doing this? What Isaiah is doing here is using hyperbole. And that really shouldn't be a surprise because we see Jesus use hyperbole in the Gospels all the time. Anytime Jesus is telling a story and blowing things up into some gigantic metaphor, camel through the eye of the needle, whatever you want to say, that's Jesus using hyperbole. And Jesus quotes Isaiah more than he quotes anybody else. So it's not a surprise that Isaiah was using hyperbole. Why? What is he using hyperbole for? Of course these people are going to remember the Exodus. Why are you telling them not to remember the Exodus? Parents, when you tell your children, whatever you do, don't do X, Y, or Z, what is the first thing your kid attempts to do? X, Y, or Z, right? Isaiah isn't telling them don't remember the Exodus at all. What Isaiah is telling them is that storybook version that we all know of the Exodus, that's what you need to forget. Because what you need to remember is what's behind that, what's at the core of the story, what the heart of the story is, what that foundation is. And we talk about this all the time with biblical stories. We often, we know them so well, we don't know them at all. That's what he's trying to get people past. Forget the storybook version that you know. Remember what's at the heart of the story, because what at the, what's at the heart of the story is God being with his people, is God speaking to his people, is God bringing his people through the wilderness by doing something new. That's, that's what Isaiah is driving at. And that comes up then in verse 19. Verse 19 says, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Remember back to the Exodus, parting of the Red Sea. There's too much water in between where the people are and where the people need to go. God parts the water, makes a path through the sea. But now in the exile, God's going to flip the script. It's not too much water. They have to go through a desert to get back home. There's not enough water. Okay, God's going to make a path. If you're just thinking about the storybook version of the story, that does, it doesn't become real applicable to the exile situation. But if you understand what's at the heart of the story, then it becomes very applicable. And God brings rivers to the desert. God makes a path. God makes a new way. He flips the script and makes a way for his people to come home. God is doing something new. Because the God that was president at the Exodus is the God that was president at the exile, is the God that's president, present in Ukraine, is the God that is present with us right here, right now. And that God is doing something new. For the people of the Exodus, God brought them to a new land and made a covenant with them. For the people of the exile, God brought them home and helped them rebuild and helped them build a new temple. For the people of Ukraine, I don't know yet. I don't know what the new thing there is, is, is there yet. That's the thing about the wilderness, is when you're in it, you don't really know where it ends or when it ends or what it's going to look like at the end. That's awfully frustrating. For us, here, right now, I don't know what, it's, what it is yet. I don't know. I know we're in the wilderness right now, but I don't know what the new thing is going to look like yet, and I don't know when it's coming. 
I mean, can we just be honest, right? We can all be honest with each other. Steve's preaching over at YZ today. That's where Steve is. And in about a month, that's going to be the reality. Nothing wrong with that. And by the way, he knows what I'm saying, so nobody's talking behind anybody's back here. Don't worry. I said pretty much the same thing Ash Wednesday. He was sitting right there. I don't know what we're going to be here at Genesis. I don't know. But I can tell you firsthand with my limited interaction with the staff that the staff is busting their backside right now, trying to make it feel as normal and as stable as humanly possible. And so are the elders, and so are our volunteers. And they deserve some love. If you think about it, say something, because they're working really, really hard. I can tell you that, absolutely. I don't know what we're going to be here yet. David Davis is a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, and he said that part of what it means to journey with God is then that journeying on, even when discerning the way and seeing a harvest will not be clear or easy. God's promise is not for material prosperity or even institutional survival. The promise is God will make a way. That's the promise. I don't know what we're going to be here yet. I don't know. And we can see that as a source of fear and anxiety, and we can name it as that. When I first heard this news, you better believe I had a lot of fear and anxiety. I've been in seminary for five years now. And that entire time, I haven't known what the end was going to look like. And for my poor little Enneagram 5 brain that craves structure and craves certainty, that's torture. But I put my faith in God and said, this is, I know this is where you want me to be, and I know you'll get me where you need me to be, so okay. And the last thing in that seminary education is an internship, which I'm doing here. And two weeks into that internship, I find out my senior pastor is resigning. If you don't think there was some fear and anxiety, let me correct you on that. There was a lot of fear and anxiety. And there was that fear and anxiety, and then I got that worked out with the folks at Bethel, and everything was going to be okay. And then comes just the existential fear and anxiety. What, this place, I've been here for seven years. It has literally changed my life. That's not hyperbole at all, I promise. I love this place. I love this community. I love what it offers to people. I love what it's done for me. And I want that to be present for other people. So there's that fear and anxiety. We can name that, we can say that out loud, and we can say that that's the truth. That exists. And we, as a community, can also choose to look at this as an opportunity. Right? Genesis's vision statement has always been joining God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Joining with God as God does something new. This is that opportunity for us. We can join with that. We can talk together. We can dream together. We can work together. We can join God as she births something new here at Genesis. We can do that. I don't know what we're going to be. I don't know. But I know God's here because I see it in all of you. I don't know what we're going to be. I really, really don't. But I know God's at work because I see it in all of you. And I don't know what we're going to be, but I know that there's the potential for something new, and I know that there's potential for something new to be special because I see it in all of you. 
Because the God who was present at the Exodus is the God who is present at the exile, is the God who is present now with the people of Ukraine, is the God that is present with all of us right here, right now at Genesis. And because I remember that story, and because I don't remember that story, because I've let go of that storybook version and I remember what's at the heart, what's at the core of that story, I'm grabbing on to that, I can know God's doing something new. God's here, God's working, and God's doing something new with all of us. God's doing something new, Genesis. And we have the opportunity to join with God in that work here together as ordinary apprentices of Jesus, as we like to call ourselves. God's doing something new. So what do you say? Should we join? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.